Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 2, speaks of the sin of ignorance, or as some versions translate it, unintentional sin. God's remedy in the Old Testament was the sin offering. Today, we commit many sins unintentionally or inadvertently. In fact, oftentimes, the very things we determine not to do, we end up doing, and doing them repeatedly. Why does this occur to even the most spiritually advanced? Of course, we know that in Christ we're forgiven, but still the utter frustration and discouragement that we feel. How many times have we prayed, Lord, how long will I continue to do this? Well, we hope that our fellowship today will be of much practical help to all of God's seekers as we look at the sin offering in Leviticus and also its New Testament application. Ron Kangas has joined us for this important fellowship. Ron, I'm happy to have you here for this one. I appreciate the opportunity to join with you, Chris, to, to have some clear and impressive fellowship on a crucial yet often misunderstood and, I need to say, misrepresented matter. Ron, this is an important topic, and I think our listeners who uh, have not been with us for our past programs in Leviticus may wonder how the sin offering uh, from the Old Testament pages could have such import. We've seen already, Ron, that the sin offering is the fourth of the five basic offerings in Leviticus. Following this, we're going to see the trespass offering. Many people have a difficult time distinguishing between sin and trespasses, but the distinction is critical, isn't it? It is critical, and as we will see as our fellowship today unfolds, we are sinners because of the nature of sin, not because we have acts of sin. We sin in our behavior because we are sinners in our constitution. Being sinners in our constitution is related to sin as the nature of Satan in us. And trespasses refers to sins in our conduct, which sins result from the sin in our nature. Right. And this connection, the relationship here, is going to be the one that we really labor together to bring into focus for all of our listeners, this distinction between sin as the nature and trespasses or sins as the byproduct or the output. We want to look at two passages before we come to Witness Lee's first portion today, Ron. First, uh, the point at hand, and that's Leviticus chapter 4. Let me read the first three verses or portions thereof. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If anyone sins without intent in any of the things which Jehovah has commanded not to be done, and does not any one of them, then let him present a bull of the herd without blemish to Jehovah for a sin offering for his sin that he committed. 
Now, we also want to come to the New Testament beginning with Romans 7 to see this matter clearly from the New Testament angle or point of view. And I would just read two verses here, verse 11 and verse 20. Verse 11 says, For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. And verse 20, But if what I do not will, this I do. It is no longer I that work it out, but sin that dwells in me. Let me point out, Witness Lee will refer back to the portion in Leviticus. The King James translates that phrase, the sin of ignorance, in the recovery version that I read, sin without intent. So here's Witness Lee. It's hard for everybody to understand such a term, the sin of ignorance. That really means you don't have the intention to sin, yet you sin. What does this indicate? This simply indicates they are indwelling sin. We do have the very sin we have inherited of Adam that dwells in our flesh. We sin just without intention. From what? From the indwelling sin. There is something within that's called sin. It came in through Adam's fall. Then it entered into the human race. With all the human beings, there is such a thing that is called sin. According to Romans 7, you could see actually sin is something personified because it can dwell, it can kill, You can do a lot of things. This is a living sin. Sin as a living person. So it is the personified sin. Of course, you couldn't find a verse that says this sin is just Satan itself. To say this is not too much, according to fact. Or we can say, what is sin? Sin is the sinful nature of Satan. Sin is just Satan's sinful nature. As it is the nature of Satan, so it is Satan itself. When Adam fell, that opened the gate for this sin, which is Satan himself, to come into our being. And Romans 7 tells us clearly that this sin, which is Satan's nature, which is Satan himself, is indwelling our flesh, dwells in our flesh. Ron, I want to go back to the distinction that you brought up in the introduction today because I think most people, it's fair to say, think of sin as just the aggregate of the unfortunate things that we do, the regrettable deeds that we commit. But this phrase, sin of ignorance, or as uh, other translations render it, the unintentional sin or inadvertent sin, implies not the deeds themselves, but this fallen sinful nature. And as we saw in these verses in Romans 7, uh, the sin here almost takes on a persona. He uses the term sin personified. What about this, Ron? The first thing we need to establish is that the Bible reveals the truth concerning God and it reveals the actual 
condition and situation of fallen humankind. In a chapter such as Romans 7, sin is spoken of in personal terms. Paul says, not I, but the sin that dwells within me. And he describes the actions of sin as if they were the actions of a person. So the question is, what is this thing called sin? And why does Paul personify it or regard it as a person in action? Mm -hmm. So as we consider this in the light of the Scriptures as a whole, we can draw a number of conclusions. First, we know that the origin of sin is Satan, right? the devil. Right. He sinned from the beginning, and sin has its source in him. When man fell, he not only sinned by disobeying God, but he received into him an element that became sin, indwelling sin, in our fallen nature. And this element is sin as the evil, sinful nature of Satan. And this evil, sinful nature of Satan functions as a person. And therefore, although there is not a verse that says sin is Satan, in the light of experience and in the light of the Scripture, we can say sin is actually Satan in his evil, sinful nature, having been injected into us and now dwelling in us. Support for this understanding is found in verses such as John 8.44, where the Lord says, You are of your father, the devil. And both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus called sinners vipers, serpents. Well, who is the serpent? The serpent is Satan, the devil. Now, we hasten to say we do not deny the objective existence of the devil, Satan. We are saying that there is a subjective aspect to his operation now because Satan, as sin, injected himself into humanity, and now sin dwells within us. This indwelling sin is the sinful nature of Satan. Actually, it is Satan. A closely related portion of the word to this is Matthew 16, where Peter, speaking out of himself, said something offensive, and the Lord turned to him and rebuked him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Satan was in Peter. He was the practical expression of Satan. Because Satan, in the sense of indwelling sin, was in Peter as a sinner, just as he is in us as sinners. When we realize this, then I would say we touch the depths of the truth concerning the nature of sin. Now, I would add this. Some critics of this teaching, in their haste and in their superficiality, have misrepresented this teaching. They utterly reject the truth of the Scriptures concerning the nature of sin. Those who have this distorted view 
I would say in all frankness, do not know the Scriptures and do not know themselves as sinners in the light of God's Word. The Lord Jesus died, according to John 3.14, as the fulfillment of the type of the bronze serpent. And we will see this word in John 3.14 is related to Romans 8.3 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. And we draw from this cluster of scriptures the fact or the understanding that Christ was made sin for us because he had come in the likeness of the flesh of sin. He fulfilled the type of the bronze serpent because when he died his vicarious death, taking away the sin of the world, He was, in the sight of God, sin itself on our behalf. And sin in the sight of God has the form of a serpent, because sin is Satan, the serpent. And that sin, that Satan, that serpent, dwells in every fallen human being that is every human being. Therefore, we desperately need God's solution, and his solution, as always, is Christ, and in this case, Christ as our sin offering. Ron, you opened up a big matter there that I want to come back to at the end of our program today. We'll set it aside for a few minutes, because in this middle portion, we want to see something about our flesh related to sin that I think will be very surprising to all of our listeners, and that is sin in the flesh is not just the evil that we do. Here's Witness Lee once again. Don't forget anything that is dead out of your flesh that is sin. Even your love out of your flesh in the eyes of God is sin. Not only bad things are sin. Even the good things, as long as they are out of the flesh, they are sin. Not the outcoming comes, but the source. The source comes. This is why the Bible tells us what? We, the Christians, have crucified the flesh with all its lust. As long as we are the flesh, we are sin. The flesh, according to human life, is altogether one with sin. And sin is altogether one with Satan. As we are on the sin offering, you have to know the sin offering, strictly speaking, is not dealing with sin itself. It's dealing with our flesh. Can you see? It's dealing with the very evil one, Satan, in our flesh. Ron, this was really interesting, uh, his phrase here at the end. He said, the sin offering is not really dealing with sin itself, it's dealing with our flesh. In that context, he mentioned something here that I think is probably surprising to a lot of people. I don't know how many of us are sufficiently impressed with just how offensive our flesh is to God. And what I mean by that is anything done in our flesh, whether good or bad, is accounted as sin. We may have a kind of a doctrinal understanding of this, but probably not a consciousness of it, the way we uh, are so conscious of the evil that we do. What about the good that we do that has its source in our flesh? Hatred 
has its source in the flesh, and therefore is to be condemned. But there is a kind of love that also has its source in the flesh. Well, love is good, but in the eyes of God, there's a kind of love that may be altogether offensive to him because it has its source in the flesh and therefore is utterly contaminated. We see a clear picture of God's attitude in 1 Samuel 15 when King Saul was commanded to destroy the Amalekites who typify the flesh. Instead of destroying them all, he destroyed what was evil and spared what was good. And for that act of rebellion, he was dethroned. He lost his kingship. God's word was to annihilate the flesh because God is concerned about the source of our action and he is concerned about the nature of the source of the flesh, which is now a flesh of sin. The crucial change that we must make in our perspective is to consider source before we consider outcome. If we only consider outcome according to right and wrong, good and evil, we won't understand this point. But if we begin to have the divine view, the biblical view that God has, we will begin to consider the source. If the source is the spirit, the outcome will be approved by God. If the source is the flesh, the outcome, whether good or evil, will be condemned by God because God is concerned for the source and his people need to learn to embrace God's concern and make it their own. Okay, Ron, in our final portion today, we want to go back and pick up, uh, witnessly speaking, about the flesh as it relates to Christ. Christ came, as you quoted, in the likeness of the flesh of sin. Here's Witness Lee once again. The fallen man included in the flesh of Christ, the fallen man, we, the old man, are included in the flesh of Christ, being dealt with. Sin in the fallen man's nature being condemned. Satan, sin itself, being destroyed. So this is what is revealed in the Holy Word. If we see this, could you see? Just a confession of your sin. And taking Christ as a sin offering to deal with your sin. This means not only sin in your flesh is dealt with, but yourself as the old man who is included in the flesh of Christ is dealt with. Not only so, even Satan, the certain one, the evil one, is dealt with. So to take Christ as a sin offering is not a simple thing. Ron, in our first fellowship together, you mentioned the criticism that some have of this teaching. Let's come at this criticism head on in our final section today. And it has to do, I think, with just this point. And it's a difficult point, uh, but I don't want to leave room for the enemy to confuse what we're saying. The Bible says clearly that Christ had no sin, but it also says that he came in the likeness of the flesh of sin. And in Corinthians, as you pointed out, that he was made sin for us. So how do we reconcile these two facts? First, let's be definite about the facts. 
The Lord Jesus had no sin. He knew no sin. He never sinned. But he had human flesh. But his human flesh was not the flesh of sin. Because of this fact, Romans 8.3 says that God sent his Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin. We need to cut the word straight here. The verse does not say that Christ came in the likeness of the flesh. That would be to deny his real incarnation. John 1.14 says the word, which is God, Christ as God, became flesh. But if we say that Christ came with the flesh of sin, that is to teach heresy concerning the person of Christ, saying he had a sinful nature. He did not have a sinful nature. He came in the flesh. He was God manifested in the flesh. But in his flesh, there was no sin. But it looked like just like the flesh that is the flesh of sin, because he came in the likeness of the flesh of sin. Because he had flesh, but not the flesh of sin, he could die as our representative and replacement on the cross as the sin offering. And when he was on the cross, God made him sin for us, who knew no sin. When this occurred, there was the fulfillment of the type of the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent has the form of a serpent, but not the poisonous nature of the serpent. Christ died in the fulfillment of this type, in the form of a serpent, in the likeness of the flesh of sin, but without the poison of the serpent, and without the sin in his own flesh. But because he had taken on the likeness of the flesh of sin, when he died, God had the ground to condemn sin in the flesh. So when the Lord Jesus died as our sin offering, God dealt with sin, he dealt with the flesh of sin, he dealt with the fallen man, he dealt with Satan, he dealt with the world, and he dealt with the power struggle that issues from all of these. But the crucial point is this, because he had the likeness of the flesh of sin without sin, he was qualified to die as the sin offering. This is good news for us sinners. When we identify ourselves with him through faith, we appropriate him to our situation, and in the sight of God, sin is dealt with in us, and the way into God's presence is opened up, and we have the right to enjoy God in Christ as the Spirit, as the tree of life. Ron, in Leviticus, the offerers were able to identify with this sacrifice by laying their hands on its head. I appreciate you said we can identify with Christ today through faith. In a sense, we embrace him becoming sin for us and dying for us as the real genuine sin offering. This is truly good news. We simply believe in him. We believe Christ has dealt with sin. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. He is our sin offering. Well, we do invite your comments, your phone calls. We would love to refer you to much of the printed material that we have available on this and related topics and the wealth of material contained in Living Stream Ministry touching uh, so many of these matters. This was a topic that Watchman Nee wrote extensively on that Witness Lee and his uh, many years of ministry also addressed very much. So we have a lot of material that we could provide. Do contact us today. Our toll-free number, 1-888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. We invite you back to be with us again as we continue on. We'll touch the next of the five offerings in Leviticus, the trespass offering. Please be with us for that. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.